For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brandon. Nice to meet you all. Let's go. This is my first year on staff with Chi Alpha. Let's go. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Meredith. Oh, yeah. I'm a lucky guy. We've been together for, we've been married now for six months. She's my best friend in the whole world, and I love her more every day. She's, she's very, very special. My parents are here tonight, so my father, Kevin, is here. My mom, Christine, is here. They drove all the way from Linden, Washington. Luke knows what's up. Yeah, I drove from Linden, Washington tonight to be here. They've always supported me. Like, they went to, like, every single baseball game I ever played in. Even when I was terrible at soccer, they came to, like, all my soccer games. So I guess I really shouldn't be that surprised that they're, <laughs> they're here tonight. This is my fourth year in Chi Alpha, and man, I have grown a lot since I've been in Chi Alpha. You guys have probably noticed after one quarter, you're already growing a ton. Well, I've been in this, this biz for four, four years, and I was kind of a nut when I first started. That's kind of crazy. Uh, for those of you who kind of knew me when I first came as a transfer, I was a little bit, a little crazy. <laughs> Who's getting excited? Who's getting excited for SBO coming up? Okay, so I went to SBO my second year, and we went to Stockton, California. And I got a little bit of a story of how I was kind of a crazy person. So my car is a bunch of dudes. It's like me, Ethan, Mike, and Taylor. And we're driving all the way to California. And I just get this thought in my head. I'm going, we're going to get all the way to California on just paper. Like, all I need is the Google Maps, and I don't need no GPS. I'm going to get to California with just paper. We, we got lost. <laughs> so we, we made it like 10, 10 hours in. You know, we, we actually made it technically to California, but we like took the wrong exit and, you know, morale starting to drop and I just get this like fire in me. I'm like, all I need is paper. And I'm like slamming my paper against the wall. These cars are driving by me like, who is that psychopath? <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> Taylor's probably like, oh my gosh, man, you're going crazy. Poor Cassidy's all stressed out, and we eventually took, like, just the wrong exit for the last time. We're, like, an hour behind the girls, and so I call Cassidy, and I'm like, okay, so we took the wrong exit. Brandon, give me the phone to my husband right now, please. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. <laughs> Tell the next phone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, babe. Okay. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. I prom- no, no, no. I promise we will. Okay. Everybody get your TPS out, man. <laughs> we're going. We're going. <laughs> we showed up, like, 45 minutes late. The girls are like... No, no, they actually did not acknowledge us. Like, they were so disappointed in us. But anyways, it was a fun trip. We had a good time. I hope you guys have as much fun as, as I did. Well, let's, let's start. So tonight, we're going to kind of recap Genesis 1 through 3 just to start. Mike really, really brilliantly showed us last week just kind of the contradiction of Moses' writing to, like, Egyptian theology back then to the Jews. Moses writes in Genesis 1, he talks about how God is a creator of all things. And towards the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, God creates mankind. God moves from being the sole actor of the story to now mankind joining in the story with him. And he creates mankind in his image. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we see right away we're created to magnify God. 
We're to bring glory to God. We're to worship God. We're to rule the earth and subdue it. I'm telling you, I guarantee you I was supposed to have a pet lion to start. I'm guaranteeing it. <laughs> you know, question, how, how are we supposed to respond? How is mankind going to respond to God? Well, they botch it. And then first, or in chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin. They make an image for themselves. They choose their own authoritative decision as they're deceived by the serpent instead of completely obeying God. We see sin enter in the world. At the end of chapter 3, God is speaking to the serpent when he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So we see the Lord instantly speaking of this offspring of the woman and this offspring of the serpent. God kind of shows there's going to be two paths for man. There's going to be a path where we image God. There's going to be a path where we image the serpent. How is this going to pan forward moving to Genesis? How does it impact our lives today? Has anyone in this room ever been mad at a sibling before? Ever felt jealous of some special treatment? Maybe you felt like they got. Yeah, I definitely experienced that. <laughs> I have a younger brother named Dakota. We'll be on the, sh the photo behind me. This is us at my wedding. You know, parents will talk sometimes about how they're cautious with kind of their firstborn, and then like their second, third, fourth child, they're like a lot more kind of cautious with them, or they're like more loose, you know. If you like haven't washed your hands before you hold the child, it's like, mm, like go wash your hands first, then you can hold my child, stuff like that. For me, when I was in high school, I had a curfew, 10 p.m., okay? Reasonable. Okay, 10 p.m., and I always had a check-in every night. Every night I'd come home, I'd have to open the room, mom, mom, wake up. Yeah, I'm home. Yeah, I'm alive. I'm fine. Okay, I love you. Yeah, 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 I love you. I love you. Okay, Coda grows up. Dakota gets in high school. Dude has straight no curfew. Like, <laughs> dude can just go out. I mean, I was, he was more of a homebody. I was more of like a nut. But anyways, so he just gets this, you know, this freedom. And I'm like busting out of my room like, uh, excuse me. Like, what? I, I literally had to come home at 10 every night. I felt like I was being treated unfairly. Felt like my brother was getting treated fairly, and it made me mad. Tonight, we're going to read a story in the Bible of a brother who he felt was treated unfairly. So turn with me to Genesis 4, 1 through 16, and I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we just acknowledge that your word is so powerful. God, that you move through your scripture, that you love us, and that you want to speak to us. And all the way from Genesis to Revelation, God, you've got words for us to to yeah, to see and hear. And God, I just pray that you'd move tonight. I pray that your spirit would be here with us. Lord, I pray that you would just use me for your glory. It's not about me. It's about you. And I just pray that you would open all of our hearts to hear uh, what you've got in story for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me, and I'm going to start reading. Cain and Abel, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. 
it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land east of, or in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So what in the world just happened? <laughs> like that, that story just escalates so drastically. Cain and Abel are born. Abel keeps the flocks. Cain works the soil. They both come to the Lord with an offering. They're both looking for acceptance. God looks with favor on Abel and not Cain. Cain gets angry, responds by murdering his brother. Cain is then cursed and sent away from his family in the presence of God. So why did God look with favor on Abel and disregard Cain's offering? We read, you know, in verse, uh, we read in the verse, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Who hears like me and you get this kind of uncomfortable feeling in your heart when you read that? Like our American culture, we're, you know, we're so much about political correctness. We mostly, we, we never like really disagree. We're kind of like, you know, whatever works for you, whatever's best for you. You know, we're all about loving. We accept everybody. You know, we feel kind of entitled to things at times. We don't really, f- like we feel like we deserve kind of whatever we want. So when we see someone's not accepted, don't we feel kind of like this tug in our heart? Like that doesn't feel right. I know I read this and instantly feel for Cain. I like almost get defensive. I'm like, what, what? I like to start to, to challenge God a little bit in my thinking. I'm like, what? What were you thinking? Like, what? Like, why? Why are you not accepting him? I don't understand that. Does that sound like kind of our good pal, the serpent, <laughs> a little bit? How about instead we approach the situation? We recognize God is perfect in judgment. God has perfect authority and justice, and let's dive deeper into the story and figure out what the heck just happened. I think another question should be asked, what, what is God looking for from their offering? What causes God's perfect judgment to pass on Cain and find favor on Abel? I believe that tonight I've found two verses that speak to this, and the first one is going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. A little backstory in Samuel the Lord uh, first uh, grants Saul to be king over Israel. He's like the first king over Israel. And Saul doesn't fully obey the Lord. And so the Lord rejects him as king, and he's looking for the next king of Israel. So the Lord sends Samuel, one of his prophets, to go find the next king of Israel. And God specifically sends Samuel to the sons of Jesse. So let's pick up in 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 7. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
God doesn't look at the physical appearance of Eliab. He looks in the heart and says, nope, this isn't the king. This isn't going to be king, and rejects him. And we later find out in the story that Samuel finds David, and David is described as after the Lord's heart. He's a man actually after the Lord's heart. And David becomes king eventually. Our second scripture is in Mark 7, 20 through 23. Jesus is talking, and he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So is it possible we've got a heart problem in Cain? Let's kind of put ourselves in their shoes. Okay, they've got no dollar bills, no, no $100 bills, no coins, no type, no type of like currency that we've got today, nothing like we've got. They've got food. That's their source of provision, similar to like money for us. Okay, let's think about the offering now. Cain brought some of the fruits, and Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of the flock. Okay, Abel makes this generous offering. He brings these fat portions of meat from the firstborn of his flock, probably enough to feed his family easily for days. Okay, this is probably what they've been looking forward, forward to. Um, and he just, in generosity, gives this to the Lord as an offering. What does Cain bring? Some of the fruit. Nothing special about the fruit. Just some of it. This one's, uh, worm's been in this one. Okay, you know, eh, that one doesn't look that good. <laughs> he brings some of the fruit. Cain gave out of duty. He didn't give out of devotion. Bruce Walke is the author of a Genesis commentary that the interns and I had to read before we gave our messages. And he comments on Cain with this. Cain's sin is tokenism. He looks religious, but in his heart, he is not totally dependent on God, childlike or grateful. Have you guys ever felt like you've worshipped God out of duty before and not maybe devotion? Have you ever felt like you're maybe acting religiously instead of totally dependent on God? We see, I see, the heart reflected in the offering. I see Abel very intentionally making an offering to the Lord. First, like, firstborn of the flock, big portions. He's making an effort, like, we see the love in the offering. I think a fair question to ask all of us is, how are our monthly tithes to God? Are we giving in devotion to the Lord, or are we just acting kind of religiously in duty when we're giving our offerings? I know for me, I've had seasons where, like, I wrestle with, like, giving. It's like, when I first started working, I was totally fine with just giving, giving, giving. And then I've had other seasons where I'm, like, trying to hold in. And there's, like, a like kind of a wrestle in my heart when it comes to my offering. In Mark 12, 41 through 44, Jesus comments on this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and she put in two very small co copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So don't think necessarily it's the size of your offering that counts. It's the heart that counts. It's what the Lord is after. He's after your heart. It's your heart's devotion. Did you ever think God maybe had more in mind than just receiving 10% of your income? It reflects your heart so much. Let's jump back into our story. 
and read verses 6 through 8. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So like last, you know, last week and a little bit tonight, we've been talking about, you know, how we image God. We've been talking about, you know, we represent his image on earth. We learn that after the fall of man, there's a choice now. God prophetically speaks. You're going to image God. You're going to image the serpent. Cain, like all of us, has been presented a choice. Who's he going to image? Who's he going to represent? Same for us. Cain makes his choice when he murders his brother. His heart is totally compromised. He's all about his own way. And we call this sin idolatry. Idolatry is choosing to worship something or someone other than God. It's treasuring something more in your heart other than God. Something that we've given our heart to more than the Lord. We see it in Cain. We see him take his life into his own hands. He makes himself the one with authority over his own life. What does that look like for us today? What are some things that we worship or treasure more than God? Could it be a sports team? Could it be a video game? Could it be a Netflix show? Could it be YouTube? What about the American dream? What about a girlfriend or a boyfriend? I mean, heck, my fantasy football team determined my mood every week. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> like, and I lost a ton. It was horrible. You can see we, become, we can become devoted to things more than God. It's not good. We can see our devotion. We throw it all over the place except to the Lord who deserves it most. And I think what happens in the story next should really, really wake us up. It's pretty jarring. In verse 7, the Lord says, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. The word crouching in Hebrew is literally the same as an ancient Babylonian word referring to an evil demon crouching at the door of a building, threatening the people inside. That's the same. Sin can be pictured as just that. We see in Genesis 3 the serpent trying to manipulate Adam and Eve, and he succeeds. Satan is straight up after Cain. We see in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be, uh, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. There's a heart battle going on. It desires to have you. Cain is likely planning the murder when God speaks to him. We see how Cain responds by representing the serpent. Yeah, God speaks. He says there's going to be an offspring of man. He says there's going to be an offspring of woman, an offspring of serpent. Kind of as we wrap up and we conclude tonight, it's clear to me that God is after our hearts. We've all acted like Cain. We've all known right from wrong. We've chosen the wrong. We can all admit that we've wrestled 
with trying to make our life our own. I know, I've totally done this. I think it's super important to see how does God interact with Cain. God gives him so many opportunities to admit his sin. So many questions that he's asking him. Cain, why, why are you angry? Dude, if you do it is right, won't you be accepted? Where's your brother Abel? Cain is hiding his feelings from God and he's, he's lying instead. He's not even bringing his anger to God. He's just holding it in and kills his brother. He's thinking of himself only and he leaves his family and God and is cursed. I think tonight we can just choose to represent our God by just, just by simply actually acknowledging <laughs> that we've committed adultery or not adultery, idolatry. <laughs> Before God. That's not, that's not the right message. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> yeah. And the, the cool thing about this is when we come to this acknowledgement, God promises us that he's going to change our hearts. He actually promises us that. He's going to change our hearts when we actually acknowledge this. He gave Cain so many opportunities. Cain just totally ignores him. Our last verse of the night is, is a powerful one. It's, we're going to be in Ezekiel 36. I'd encourage you guys to turn there with me. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. <clears throat> Back in the Old Testament, after Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says to us. Verse 24 says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Just as if we acknowledge this. Acknowledge this. So worship team, you guys can come on up, please. And I will kind of lead us in a time of reflection. My first question, <clears throat> is there anything in your life that is more of a priority than God right now? <clears throat> My second question is, how is Satan, the serpent, waging war in your heart tonight? And then my third question is, do you believe God is able to create a clean heart in you. <clears throat>